it was a decade ago, I think, I uh, went to a conference, uh, conference I was forced to go to probably as a uh, Christian Missionary Alliance pastor, but I, I saw a table that was there, they've got all their vendor type people, and I pulled off a DVD, and it was, looked nice, looked professional, and it was something about children, and I thought, oh, okay, great. So I took it home, and we got home, and I found the thing. I said, oh, yeah, we were trying to figure out what to do with family night, and it was my idea to plan this. So, oh, I know what I'm going to do. Let's do this. So we went down, and we plugged it into the uh, player, and we watched this, uh, this story unfolded of uh, something I had no inclination about. Grew up in the suburbs of uh, Chicago, the Midwest, and uh, talked about little children who were being sold into the sex slavery industry. And as I, you know, when this thing was done, I was just a wreck. And there has been nothing in my life more than the gospel itself that has grabbed my heart and said, this is something that I, I need to be about. I need to work on this. How do you fix this? And so I was on a quest for years. We called uh, denominational leaders saying, what are you doing? How can we get involved? What can we do? And the answers weren't, Good enough. Uh, I contacted Samaritan's Purse and a lot of international organizations. What are you doing? How can we get involved? And uh, we, Scott and I interviewed several people, even uh, the last few years, who were doing this kind of thing. And some of them were going in with AK-47s and stealing kids out of brothels and those kind of things. And I thought, well, that's fine, but I don't know if we could have a mission trip there. And, you know, send your high schoolers, get your tetanus shot and your passport and your AK-47, and maybe you'll come back. That's not going to work real well in my context. So I thought, well, bless them and all, but... Uh, so I kept looking. And then about a year ago, Scott and I talked with you, Carl, mm-hmm. who recently, are, you are also the one who put out that DVD that, that, yes. that messed up my life as well. <laughs> and um, as we talked, and we peppered you with questions, I remember, huge, because I learned through all my other interviews and stuff, there's just a lot to this. And as you shared, uh, I knew this was right. This was, this was how we can be involved. But before you did that, I mean, you didn't spend. You didn't grow up on the mission field. This was not your plan. Tell us a little bit about your life before you got involved with this. Well, I didn't become a Christian until a month before I turned thirty, and spent the next twelve years serving in various roles. And in um, two thousand three, went on a missions conference to Thailand. And at that time, I was a businessman, owned a couple of businesses in Akron, Ohio, where I was born and raised and was halfway through a master's degree at Evangelical Divinity School and Seminary. That's what I was doing before. And so, so you go to this missions conference in, in, in Thailand. What happens next? They flew in missionaries from all over Asia telling us what they were doing in each of the countries. And the last guy that spoke was a missionary from Cambodia and he talked about how one million children a year at that time were being trafficked. So I have a mathematical mind and figured out that was 114 per hour that were being abused for the first time in the sex trade. And he also said, I want to share success story as well. And he told news story of how she was a 13-year-old girl and she had became a Christian through the church 
and the school there that they had for Vietnamese refugees living in Cambodia when she was seven years old. She had gotten baptized and was growing as a Christian. And as he was saying this, he just had a picture of her. She wasn't there. But I could just see Christ shining through her face. And I really related to her as my sister in Christ. And I thought, this is so cool. She lives 12 time zones away. If you drilled a hole from Akron, Ohio, or Erie, PA, you'd hit Cambodia. Uh, They're on the other side of the world. And I just thought, so neat that she's a Christian and we're brother and sister in Christ. And right at that time, then he said, but news grandmother carried out her threat and sold her to a brothel. And the moment he said that, God um, quietly put on my heart, remember new. And I just broke down crying and was overwhelmed with what was happening to her. And I knew that... I could not come back to Akron, Ohio and be a businessman and go on with life as though I never heard that. Within a week, I was on my knees praying and said to God that till the day I die, I'm going to do everything within my power to stop this. I had no idea what that meant other than I committed my life that I would do something. So, so, all right, so, so you've determined that. I think a lot of us have seen the, we watch the news, we see some horrific thing, we feel bad. And we say, I don't know what to do. We pray, God help it. And we go on. It didn't stop there for you. What was, what was next? I started uh, fasting and praying and reading everything I could get my hands on that talked about child sex trafficking and what people were doing about it. I started uh, research to learn those things and also started contacting people to try and find new herself. And uh, just as time went on, God made it more clear what he wanted me to do. So you go back to Thailand. You've been there six times looking for her. Is that right? Yep. Finally, you, you found her. Yes. We're going to hear about that in, 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 a, little, in a little bit. Um, but from that, you started this opportunity to, to reach these kids. Um, you don't do rescue which is when you would go in with the AK-47s or whatever and steal the kids, basically, um, other than getting shot at or getting, being in jail. Why don't you do that? I mean, because that's the first thing that pops into your mind. And it was the first thing that popped into my mind was to go in and get these children out. And for two and a half months of reading thousands of pages, that was what I read about was people going in and getting children out. And then I stumbled across an article of this little home in the sticks of Thailand, a guy named Robert who was doing prevention. And then I started looking at prevention, which there wasn't a lot of material out, but the reason that Remember New does prevention is I learned that if you go in and get a child out of the trade, 75 to 95% of them will go back in the trade within one to two years. I also learned that it costs 10 times more money to get a child out than it does to prevent them from going in. If you prevent them from going in, you have over a 95% chance that they will never end up in the trade. With Remember New, 
We have 1,100 children. We've had about 1,300 that are in or coming through or have went through our programs. And we have one that we know ended up in the trade and two that we've lost contact with. So in our case, we're over 99.97% effective. Um, So learning those things. uh, The other last piece was about six months into it, one day I was praying and I said, God, will you help me understand what I would want Carl Ralston in Akron, Ohio to do if I were 13 years old and about to be sold into the sex trade? And it seems like a childish prayer, but I prayed it with all my heart and it was immediate. I knew that I wanted him to do whatever it took to prevent me from being abused that first time. And that's another reason that we focus on prevention. You know, help help us understand, Carl, because most of us grew up Midwest, United States, suburb type area. The the thought, the idea of parents selling their kids into sex slavery just seems so foreign to us, even though it does happen here. Mm -hmm. Why would a parent do that? Yeah, we don't realize, I think, I didn't realize how great a country that we live in and opportunities we have, but the rest of the world is not that way. And I think News Story is a perfect example of this. Her grandmother left Vietnam during the Vietnam War, came to Cambodia as a refugee. In her case, she never really learned the language. Uh, She came with a husband that later left her. And there she was caring for her son, her daughter-in-law, their two children, and knew uh, News' mom had abandoned her when she was born. So here News' grandmother was the sole provider, and she didn't even speak the language in the country they were in. And in one bad time, when New was 13 years old, there was a stretch of time where she didn't earn any money, they didn't have any food to eat, and she went to who a person that was a loan shark and borrowed, I think it was $300 to buy food for the family. And the interest was 20% per month. And back then, the average uh, Vietnamese family probably made $20 a month. So her interest was $60 a month. And of course, she couldn't pay that. And so then the loan shark said, look, if you don't pay this off, you know, we're going to do something bad to your family. And he said, this one time I'll give you another loan of $300, but then, you know, there's no more. And so she took that loan. And of course, at the end of the first month, she couldn't pay that $120. So he came to her and said, look, if you don't pay it, I'm going to start by killing your son. And he absolutely would have done it. And so then... I think he probably sent a lady over who was a known sex broker. She worked for the brothels finding children, and she started talking to News' grandmother, and News' grandmother realized she she didn't have any other options. They were going to kill her family, and so she made a terrible choice, and that is very typical if you... I've read lots of books and articles on uh, exit interviews of children who are in the trade, and that's very typically how that happens. Either they'll have a problem with health or finances, 
and they'll end up selling the one asset they have. Wow. So how do you, how do you get the kids? Uh, I mean, you, you, you're assuming that these kids are at risk. How have you determined they are at risk? And then how do you talk the parents who can sell the kid and make money? How can you talk them into giving them to you? It's, uh, there's certain risk factors that make a child at risk. Poverty is the common denominator. Every child that's in the sex trade uh, is coming from an impoverished background. But then if their families have issues, like if the mom and dad are in prison or have uh, died or have abandoned the family, if they're alcoholics or drug addicts, or if there is a financial or health issue, we know those children are at risk and very likely going to end up in the sex trade. So what we do is when we find out, say this section over here is a village that we hear they sold a child into the sex trade, we go to that village and we find the village chief who's like a mayor, but they have full control of that village, and we say to them, we have scholarships to offer, and if we offer a scholarship to one of your children, we'll provide their food, clothing, shelter, medical care, everything. And so they'll say, okay, come over Saturday and you can interview the children. We interview them. We have about an eight to 10 page application they fill out. And we're just looking at those eight risk factors. And when we see those, we know we're going to offer a scholarship to that child, but we don't tell them that. We say, okay, we'll get back to you within two weeks and we'll let you know which children, if any, can have a scholarship. So then we'll call them back and maybe two of the children are at risk. We offer a scholarship to those two children. And they have no idea why, because one may be good in sports, the other one may be good at nothing uh, from the village eyes, Um, but we've asked all of these questions, and so we offer those two scholarships, children come and live with us, and what we've found out over time, an amazing part of God's plan is now, that village will not sell those children. What happens is we let the village chief know, hey, if you have any children who have trouble in their family, alcoholism, deaths, divorce, whatever, call us and maybe we can help. And we've learned that one village at a time, we're stopping child sex trafficking. I'm guessing the uh, sex brokers, the brothel owners don't care for you very much. Do they, do they know what you're up to? They know what's going on? That's a funny thing. In our application, we ask grade point averages, what sports they play, what they want to do when they grow up, uh, what their siblings do, all this stuff. We don't care about any of it. So from their perspective, they can't figure out what we're doing. And the reason we don't broadcast it is a lot of this is mafia-run or gang-related. And so if we told them, yes, um, they would certainly kill our house parents and stuff. Oh my goodness. We want to take a, a moment and check out a, a video of New telling her story, even right now. Now, New, you grew up in Cambodia. And we asked, I see, I know the answer to this because I asked you last, last class of the last service. I'm going to ask you anyway, though. Do you have snow in Cambodia? No, we have only two seasons raining and hot. Raining and hot, yes, <laughs> yes. So we should be happy, you guys. Just remember, we don't have as much snow as we often do. Now, back, way back when, when you were a little girl, going through some of the worst that anybody could possibly imagine, you prayed, 
to God that somehow he would end this, that no other child would have to go through this. And because you prayed, he started working in a man's heart, other side of the world, who would be a part of the answer to your prayer. Do you remember the first time you met Carl? Yes. What was, what was that like? The first time I met him, I didn't like him. <laughs> and why was that? Because he know my story, and I didn't want everyone know about it. Right, right. When did you start liking him? I'm assuming you're liking him now. When did you start liking him? I started to like him, and now I call him dad because I saw the love that he loves me in through up Jesus. Yeah, yeah. When you remember you started, you were the first worker. How big is Remember New today? How many countries is it in? How many homes? How many children? We have 53 homes and we have different 11 countries. We care 1,100 children. Wow, 1,100 kids. My goodness, my goodness. I'm going to ask you more in just a second. Uh, Carl, one of the last time you were here, uh, Teresa and I started supporting a charity, little girl, uh, Kenya. Her profile said she was kind of abandoned in, in the streets, and somehow she ended up with y'all. Would you contrast for us for just a minute what her life would have been like if she had never come in contact with Remember New and what her life is today? Yeah, I think most statistics are that if you're on the street as a child, you have about 48 hours before you're abused for the first time. And so that is surely where she would have ended up. Um, but now she is in an opportunity where she gets 21 meals a week. She has school books and their uniform. She goes to school. And for me, most importantly, she's experiencing the agape, perfect love of Jesus Christ through our house mother. And it changes their worlds in amazing ways. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned something last uh uh, or it made me, made me cry. I think I'm okay this one, though, this, this time. But you mentioned that Charity would think of Teresa and myself as her parents. Yeah, what happens, many of our children have lost everything. They have either been abandoned to the point that they have no family or maybe a true orphan where all of their family members are gone. And uh, I'll just tell a real quick story. The very first home we opened was with News Help in Cambodia. And I went back there. It opened in January. I went about a half a dozen times throughout the year. Then in December, I took over Christmas presents from the sponsor families. And they opened them up, and about half of them received a picture uh, from their sponsor family. I didn't think too much about it. The next day, we had a team there from America, and every one of those children went up to every one of those team members and showed them the picture and said, do you know my mom and dad? For them, in that 11 months, they had become their mom and dad because they have no mom and dad. And when a child comes in and we tell them, here's your sponsor family, we explain to them that they are providing for your food, clothing, shelter, medical care, education. Without their help, we can't have you in the home. So this is your mom and dad who love you and are providing for you and giving 
for you to be here. And it really does happen in the children's hearts. You become their mom and dad. Now, for charity, there seems that there have been a lot of kids that were abandoned. Why are there so many kids abandoned? And they're not just runaways, they're just abandoned. Yeah, a lot of times the most typical child that we have in our home is what's called effectively orphaned. I call it effectively orphaned. Uh, Typical situation, a young couple will get married, they'll have a few children, maybe eight years down the road, the husband will see a 16 or 17-year-old working at a store who he thinks is cute. He'll run off with her and abandon his family and start over in another province or state or city. And the mom is left there with three children. The difference from America and there is women are very much looked down upon and so they can't earn an income most of the time. So she'll figure out that the one option she has is to find a man who will take her children in. She'll get remarried, and the moment she gets pregnant, typically, the husband says, you know, I can't care for your other three kids. This is our family. We have to start over. And they leave. And typically, our children come home from school, and their mom and stepdad are gone, and they'll never see them again. They're effectively orphaned. And so that's how a lot of abandonment happens. Another one is maybe that woman will not do that and she'll end up living on the streets with the children and a lot of times she might die of AIDS and they get abandoned that way as well. Now, remember New has been open now for how many years? We opened our first home in January 2007. Okay, so almost almost 10 years now. So you've seen some kids come through the process all the way through the college. Um, any, or share with us some, some stories, what God has done, what you've seen, what's been encouraging. Yeah, um, one story that comes to my mind is a young lady in Thailand who graduated high school. I think the highest educated person in her uh, whole family was sixth grade. Their hill tribe family lived in the hills of Thailand. And she went back to her village after she graduated high school. And she now is the elementary school teacher for all of the kids in her village. And we see things like that. Our goal is to give our children the highest level of education possible. So we have uh, now about 20 girls and boys who are in university around the world, at different universities. And our first group that went into college, we have four girls that will be graduating next year in uh, April of 2017 with bachelor's degrees from university. Wow. Talk to us just a a moment about the the spiritual side, uh, because, um, again, all behind what what Remember News about, but when these child... Will, will these kids ever come to know Christ? How do they come to know Christ? Which, what, how does that work? Talk to us about the spirituality. Where are they coming from? What are they believing when they, when they come to you? Yep. Um, when God put on my heart, remember new, I knew that he was calling me to keep children out of the sex trade. I'm a Christian, so I was going to do that from a Christian perspective. But at the time, I didn't recognize God calling me to be a missionary in the sense of going and planting churches or anything. Uh, But I knew this piece. 
And I say that to give credit to God because in the countries we're in, like Thailand, Myanmar, Cambodia, those are over uh, 97% Buddhist in those countries. 97 plus percent of the people will claim to be a Buddhist. We're in countries like India, Gambia, Senegal, where they have a huge Hindu or animistic influence. In Africa and the West over there, they're over 95% Muslim. And missionaries have been in many of those countries for more than 100 years, and there's less than a 5% Christian influence. Uh, And what we have found in our homes all over the world is over 90% of our children have become Christians. And it's because when we train house parents, we have a list of job descriptions, but I tell them if you don't do the first and second uh, of your job descriptions, you will not work for us. And the first one is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is to love the children as Jesus loves them. I explain to them, Number eight might be uh, taking care of the house, and nine is taking care of the vehicles. You can run the vehicle into the house, and I won't fire you. Uh, and they've done it three times. Uh, they, were, I, they were testing I, you. I was going to say, I can laugh about it because no one was hurt, but they were learning to drive and hit the gas thinking it was the brake three times. Um, but because they they realize what's important to us is loving the children through that agape love is how these children are coming to Christ and it's amazing and it's God's plan it wasn't my plan to evangelistically do this um but through that love they're becoming Christians in countries that like I said are 97% muslim and buddhist well i can i can imagine if they see the, the faith of the house parents and if they realize where they would have been and who it is that's taking care of them, uh, that would have a profound impact. What is, what is the future for Remember New? I mean, when you started off, I don't know if you would have imagined it, it took off as well as it has across the globe. What's the future for it, Carl? Well, it's a funny thing. When I started Remember New, I had finished my last class in seminary, and it was on church planting. And they let me tweak that to plant Remember New. And so I wrote this brilliant uh, thesis on what to do to plant Remember New with the help of my professors. And we came up with a strategy to saturate Cambodia And once we did that with children's homes, then in ever-increasingly bigger circles go around the world. And as the saying goes, man makes plans and God laughs. Uh, God was laughing at me all the way. uh, Because we opened the first home in Phnom Penh, then we got a lead to open a home in Thailand. Then a lead to open a home in Myanmar, which was a closed country. And then the Philippines, and then India. Long story short, it was three years and 12 homes later before we ever opened the second home in Cambodia. God had a totally different plan. And the reason I tell that story is I do not plan for the future of Remember New. God has led us step by step into every country we're in, all 11 countries. I did not try to go in any of them except Cambodia, the first one. And God's led us. And this year, I'll be going to El Salvador. And we just opened our first two homes in Uganda. 
and I'm going into Cameroon as well. And had you asked me a year ago when I was here where we would be going, I would not have said those three countries. But God's plan, I believe, is there. Now, talk for a second about the, the, the whole support deal, because you're all a little bit more expensive to support a child than World Vision or Compassion. And we have two Compassion kids, so I'm behind Compassion. But talk about that for a minute. Yeah, we're unique uh, in a lot of ways in this area. Uh, most uh, organizations that you sponsor children in, you might pay $19, $20, $25, dollars a month. But the difference is we house the children and provide all of their needs. So they live with us every day of the year. We provide their food, clothing, shelter, medical care, education, all the way up through university. Most child sponsorships will give some help with education, maybe some vitamin supplements. They may do like a vacation Bible school once a month for them. But with us, uh, it costs us about $85 a month to provide all of those needs for the children on an average around the world. Um, and so the thing, the reason we do that is, as I did research, I talked to organizations that did aftercare programs or did that education piece and did some sponsorship. And one of the follow-up questions I would have is, uh, do you find that any of your children in your program end up in the sex trade? And everyone that I interviewed said yes. And in reading more and doing more research, what I learned was you have to pull the child out of the at-risk position that they're in. The education does help children not go into the sex trade, but education alone will not keep them out of the sex trade. If their family has a financial burden and they're in that home, they're the one asset that the family has to sell. And so I learned early on that you have to pull them out. And that's why we have uh, greater needs financially um, because we're providing for them, just like all of us did for our kids as well. But now you've got, uh, talk about the, the parent, grandparent, and sibling, right? Yes. Uh, we have three levels of sponsorship. One is a parent, which is $60 a month. One's a grandparent of $40, and one's a sibling at $20 a month. And the reason we do that is we have that $85 a month to cover all of their needs, but then we have some other expenses, like buying a vehicle for the home. Or a new the, home every time they crash the vehicle. Into yeah. It, right? yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and building homes and some one-time needs. So that's why we have $120 for each child to meet all of those needs. And um, in your example, you guys sponsor three homes. And so we have... Uh, after the first service, we have only three children left that need parent sponsors. Then we have maybe about a dozen that need grandparent and maybe 15 or 20 that need sibling sponsors. And then all of your children will be covered for all of their needs. And uh, Pastor Scott has reminded me this twice, so I do need to say it. Um, there's four beds um, in your home, and it's the Thailand home, I believe, that we could take uh, four more children. We probably have a waiting list of 50 for those four beds um, once we get four more parent sponsors as well. And um, 
So that's a need that we have. Yeah, how about on the other side? Somebody, uh, it's not necessarily giving, but their heart is turned and their life situation is such where they would say, God, are you calling me to physically serve with Remember New? Uh, Possibilities there? Yes. Um, In our homes, we only use indigenous house parents and helpers. And the reason we do that is we want to... be culturally sensitive to them and we don't want to Americanize our children Uh, they can best talk to an indigenous person about their feelings and heart issues so we have 130 workers around the world that are in our homes but we need Americans for several reasons Uh, we need them to teach English as a second language We need them to disciple and mentor our house parents and helpers and older children. There's not a lot of spiritual depth in these countries, as you might imagine. We need people who can oversee fish farms and aquaponics that we're doing uh, to oversee the finances, work with local churches and businesses to partner with us, be our country directors. So we have a lot of needs like that, and if you have any interest in that, I would ask you to see me after the service, and I'll give you my business card, and we can talk about that. Wonderful, thanks. Now, New, you had something very special happen to you this past year, is that right? Yes, I'm engaged. You're engaged, all right, wonderful, congratulations. Thank you. Now, now, when are you getting married? I'm getting married in May. On the beach in Hawaii. On a beach in Hawaii. That'll work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. My Beyonce's name is Gabriel. Gabriel? Yes. And where did you meet Gabriel? No. Where did you meet him? Uh, I met him at church. In church. It's a good reason to go to church. That's right. That's right. Good reason to go to church. Meet a husband. (laughs) Um. Let me ask you one more question, New, because as far as the United States, our, our statistics say um, that one in three girls will be abused, one in five boys will be abused. We don't have the, the issue, uh, even though sex slave trading trafficking is even in Erie, we don't have the, the issue as you might have overseas, but we do have the abuse issue. And uh, no doubt there are some folk here this morning who've been through that pain, who've experienced even what you said about Carl. You didn't want anyone to know your story. They're feeling whether embarrassed or guilty or hurt deeply, very broken. You've been there, and yet you're smiling. There's light in your eyes. Uh, You understand the whole redemption piece that God is so much about. What could you say to them this morning by advice or encouragement or hope that might uh, might speak to their soul this morning yeah i have to write down because my english i would say if you've been hurt this way don't give up to be a better person if you know about jesus you pray and ask god to heal you and always remember it is not your fault jesus knows your story jesus does know your story right right Right, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you again for, for coming. And it, one of the things that is so encouraging to me is when you were a 13-year-old girl, little girl, 
in a very difficult situation, you called out to your God, who you thought didn't hear you, didn't care for you, but he was answering, and through your prayer, knew he would change the, the lives of, of thousands of kids, hundreds of children, of donors, people who are actually able to be a part of helping with that. And so God has used you in a major, major way. So thank you.